Good morning. It's hard to believe that summer is really winding down. I've just come back from a week of vacation. It's always fun when you begin a week of vacation at a uh, dock in a box in the thriving metropolis of Tallahassee, Alabama. I've been on Augmenton for a week, so it's safe to get around me. Just a good old all-American summer cold that morphed into a sinus infection. But as we continue in this series, I'm excited to be with you this morning to um, take a look at one of the last chapters of one of the, la- of the last book of the Old Testament. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we do pause to recognize that our worth is not in our stuff, whether it's homes or cars or boats or stock accounts or bank accounts, but ultimately our worth is is found in who you have created us and called us to be. Help us today to hear your word and to live into the worth that you have given us all. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen. There are those points in life where we recognize that it's time to hit the reset button. One of those significant moments came in my life a number of years ago. I'm going to tell you it was 19, probably 90, maybe 91. Liv and I were on our way down to Sandestin for the Singles Memorial Day weekend beach retreat. Back in those days, we pretty much took over Elephant Walk down at Sandestin. Some of you may have been a part of some of those retreats. And we're about halfway down there. We had dropped our girls off in Montgomery, Alabama, where Lib's parents live. And, and we kept on driving, and we stopped in Troy, Alabama, and went to a Western Sizzlin' Steakhouse. When's the last time you went to one of those? When's the last time you saw one of those? If it still stands, I could show you exactly where I was sitting when I realized it was time to hit the reset button in my own life. We had two young daughters, probably, I don't know, four and two, five and three, and Lib looked at me across the table and let me know in no uncertain terms that the girls were growing and changing on a daily basis, and I was working so hard, so much, so long that I wasn't around to see it to the point that our daughter Ann had said, Mom, I feel like Dad's no longer a part of our family. Boom, reset button. It took me the summer to figure it out, but I began after that conversation to take each of our daughters out one-on-one every week all the way through high school. I remember sitting at the McDonald's up here on Roswell Road doing um, uh, flashcard spelling words with Ann before I took her to High Point Elementary. Up here where Bar Taco is, some of you remember that used to be a Dunkin' Donuts. I remember taking Catherine to Dunkin' Donuts where she got more donut on her face than she got in her stomach before I brought her here to Peachtree Preschool. That was one of those moments where I realized I needed to hit a reset and change some of the direction of my life. We're near the end of this series of Old Testament messages. It has 
been a part of our life since the beginning of January. If you've been here much since the beginning of January, you've pretty much got this slide memorized. We have gone from Genesis, we are hitting today the, the book of Malachi. We've gone from promise to freedom to home to kingdom to division to exile and the people returning to Jerusalem, to Judah from exile in Babylon. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi is the last prophet whose words we see recorded in the Old Testament. Now, to put this into context, realize that people who have been uh, defeated in battle by Babylon and, and exiled to Babylon have now been returned to Israel. They've been allowed to come back. The temple has been rebuilt. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard Jay Madden talking about uh, the Old Testament prophet Haggai and how they dealt with the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. If you were here last week, you heard Vicki talking about Nehemiah and the building of the walls around the city. So people are back and they're settled in and, and the wall is rebuilt and the temple is rebuilt and worship is lackluster, half-hearted at best. People are not giving God their very best. They have taken the Lord for granted, and they just aren't putting their hearts into worship. And it's not just the people, it's the priesthood as well. They are not giving God their best, they are accepting half-hearted sacrifices, and frankly, the priesthood has become corrupt. When we treat the royal realities of faith with a routine attitude, it's a dangerous thing. And Scott and others will tell you how hard we work around here to keep ourselves humble in the eyes of God and faithful to serve you, God's people. So listen to what God said to the people and to the priests through Malachi the prophet in the third chapter, beginning to read at the sixth verse. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and haven't kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. You ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. 
May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. Now let me unpack a word that you heard in that text that kind of bounces around in Christian language on a somewhat regular basis, and that's the word tithe. Now, the word means 10%. It was the expectation of God that the people of God give God not just 10%, but the first 10% of what they had. Give God their very best, not something that was left over. Throughout the years, I've heard people say, here's my tithe, and I'll ask occasionally, so that's 10% of your income? Uh, no. Well, so that's your offering. It's not 10%. Remember, this is a classic preacher story. Scott, file this away. You'll use it at some point in the future. He's younger than I am. Pastor knew a man in his community was very faithful to God in every dimension of his life. And, and he knew that the man was giving God regularly 10% of his income. Now, let's not get into net gross, that whole battle. Let's just... Not even, don't even go there. Um, he was giving God 10%. But then the pastor recognized that the man's business was taking off like a skyrocket. And he began to notice that his income, while it was increasing, his giving to God through the church was not. So he, he went to the man and he met him at his office and he was talking to him and he said, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. You have been very faithfully, and, you know, we've talked about this. You've given God 10% of your income on a regular basis. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I've done that in the past, yeah. But your business has really taken off, and I've noticed that you are no longer giving 10% of your income. Well, I'm giving more. I know that, but it's not 10%, is it? He says, Pastor, you don't understand. I am making so much money now. I can't afford to give God 10%. Immediately, the pastor drops on his knees in the man's office and says, Dear Lord, please reduce this man's income so that he can once again give 10%. And, and the man, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, I'm sure it's not a true story, but it points out the context. Are we really giving God what God asks us to give. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember, I'm on augmenting. It's safe. But it's the people's question, how are we robbing God? Is that our question as well? Have we, you and I, robbed God? Have we given God less than our best? There's a scene that most of you, if you ever saw the movie, missed this at the beginning of Rocky II. Rocky II begins where the original Rocky, which you've forgotten, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Rocky II begins where Rocky leaves off. It's the end of the fight. Rocky and Apollo Creed are both in the hospital, and Rocky rolls himself in a wheelchair to Apollo Creed's room and pushes the door open and says, Yo, Apollo. Did you give me your best? And Apollo says, yeah, Rock. Yeah, I did. 
Rocky, who was a nothing fighter, wanted to know if the world heavyweight champion had given him his very best. You know, if you and I give God our best, then God is going to give us his best. The, the text said it very well that if we give God our best, then God will bless us, that, that he will open the floodgates of heaven. Can you imagine what that means for your life? That he will prevent pests from devouring. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, this was an agricultural context, and, and you heard it. It was talking about the, the vines would not drop their fruit. So you understand what's behind that. And you and I, if, unless I'm mistaken, don't live in an agricultural economy today. Life today is very different. So I wonder if maybe we gave God our best of us, how would God give us his best? There have been a couple of times in my life, not only when I knew I needed to hit the reset button, but <clears throat> two, maybe three times in my life when I felt like I almost audibly heard the voice of God. Once was in 1999 when we were living in Pascagoula, Mississippi, when I was in my car on the way back from a uh, uh, physical therapy uh, experience, Dr. Cross, I'd had my shoulder operated on as you have recently. I was on the way back from PT and I feel like I almost audibly heard God say, you're a liar. Now, what unfolded from this was almost like a conversation with the Lord in the car. No one likes to be called a liar, and, and I took umbrage at this, and I said, excuse me, what do you mean? At which point, it felt like God said, the tithe, to which I said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. I give more than 10% of our household income on a regular basis. God said, I'm not talking about <clears throat> your money. I'm talking about you. And I said, wait a minute now. I work for you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm on 24-7. I'm on call all the time. To which God said, I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about you. At which point, I kind of had to stop and think about, how I was giving myself as a person to God. Sometimes, friends, I think we get hung up on the dollar signs when we think about the tithe and we forget about us and how our lives are given or not given to God. Today, I, I think this message is less about your finances and it's more about you, how you live your life as a follower of Jesus on a regular basis. Crises will come in your life. If they haven't yet, friends, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
And you need to be prepared for that moment. And the best way to be prepared for a crisis in your life is by being continually close to God. The covenant commands of the Old Testament, of which the tithe was one, are meant to show what it means to live a life of love to and trust in God. What does it mean to give ourselves continually to God? If we agree with what Scott said at the beginning of the service, that we are joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things, are we joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things, or is it kind of an every once in a while kind of a thing? I know it's been 20, well, almost 21 years now since the tragedy of 9-11 happened, and Many of us remember the the swelling crowds the Sunday after that September morning, but they didn't last. We found that our lives were entirely too busy, that we just didn't have time for God. Remember what God says through Malachi, that if we give God our best, the best of our best, What's the best time in your day? Are you a morning person? Are you an early bird? Are you a night owl? Find your best time of the day and give God your best and see if God won't give you his best. He promised he would. And he says he'll prevent the the pests from devouring you. Now take that, that agricultural metaphor and transfer it into our lives today. How many of us spend more time with our cell phones than we do with God? You know, you can go to settings in your phone and tap on the right uh, link and look at screen time and see exactly how you are spending your time on your phone. It's a humbling experience. Some of us are allowing technology to devour our time and our attention away from God. Over the course of several years, I stumbled across three friends in the same exact predicament. I walked into the lodge early one Tuesday morning for Ironman and found my very good friend, Steve Ciceri, sitting at one of the tables getting ready. Look at what he's doing. He's got his computer, his iPad, and his cell phone open in front of him. How could he pay attention to anything? Now, it's not just Steve, and I did give him the heads up (coughs) that I was going to show this slide today, and he wanted to know what the royalty was. I said it was (laughs) priceless. It's not just Steve. You remember Mark Crumpler? I walk into Mark's office one day. Look at him. Computer, iPad, cell phone. How can he get anything accomplished? And it's not just old geezers like Steve and Mark and me. I walk into Joe Skillen's office one time. Remember, Joe? Two computers and his cell phone. We are allowing too many things to distract us and detract us from being able to give God our very best. Jordan Field at Pine Bluff High School is where 
all of my glorious football exploits took place. This is, this is a picture of it. This is the field where I played in both junior high and high school uh, before I got sized out and became too small to play football. One of the things that we used to do <clears throat> during off-season training was what our coaches called Burma Road. Now, what that meant was the football field house was kind of catty corner across the street from the lower middle of that picture. And when the coaches blew the whistle, the entire team took off. We ran across the south end of the football field where it says Pine Bluff to the stands there on the right-hand side. And we zigzagged our way across the stands over to the other set of stands going up the stands, down the stands, up the stands, down the stands, until we ran around the north end zone, came across and zigzagged our way up and down the stands on this other side until we ran back across the field to the football field house, the street to the football field house. The last five guys to get to the field house had to turn around and go back and do it again. Now, I was an interior lineman and generally kind of towards the back of the middle of the pack every time we did this. Until the time came that I had the flu. And I was out of school for two weeks. And when I went back to school, I had that ubiquitous note from the doctor that said, please excuse Chuck from workouts for two weeks. I remember Coach Tilly screaming at the top of his lungs, two weeks? So realize I'd missed four weeks of workouts. By the time I got back to off-season training, when we ran Burma Road the next time, I was dead last by a good 20 yards. I remember getting to the gate of the stadium. Everybody else was already across the street. And looking over with my hands on my knees, looking at Coach Stanley and going, turning around and, and starting over. I wasn't going to run over there and back again to start it. I had lost so much ground in four weeks that physically I was out of shape. How many of us lose ground spiritually because we've gotten out of shape? Not physically, but in our relationship with God. Another one of those classic preacher stories. Couples driving down the interstate, husband's behind the wheel, wife is over in the passenger seat, scrolling through her phone, looking at whatever. When she hears her husband say, oh boy, and she looks up and flying past him on the interstate. In the other lane is a car with just married, written all over it, shaving cream and rice still flecking off the car as it goes by. The the wife in that car <coughs> is sitting so close, she's almost straddling the center console to be over close to her husband, cuddling with him as they escape from their wedding reception for the honeymoon. The wife watches the car goes by and goes back to her phone and says, we used to be like that. Husband looks over at her and says, I haven't moved. 
I, the Lord, do not change, God said through Malachi. How are you robbing me in your tithes and offerings? Are we giving God our best? Or have we gotten so distracted that we've lost sight of our time with God? This week, find where your best is. Morning, midday, nighttime. You know, if you're a night owl for me to tell you to get up before the sun comes up and spend time with God, I may as well tell you to eat glass. It's the same thing for early birds. If I tell you to stay up late at night and say your prayers, your prayers will sound something like this. Find your best and give God your best. See if he doesn't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessings in your life. Let's pray together. Eternal and loving God, by your mercy, you create us and breathe the breath of life into us. Shape us and help us to give you our very best, that you can use us in the restoration of all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.